And I'm 21 years old, a young engineer, don't know a lot. And that role was supervising a midnight shift um, manufacturing line. So probably and one of the youngest people in the room. I was by far the youngest. The uh, supervisor. The supervisor, you know. And there I was with my clipboard and my pencil and my stopwatch. And my job was to... Um, assess how uh, productive they were. So could you imagine, right? I was a bad guy. It was hard. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, Sonia Single. She's the president and CEO of Old Navy, leading the company to record growth at a time of great uncertainty and challenges for retailers. But it wasn't always a clear path to clothing. Sonia got her start at a car company in Detroit, took a leap of faith and moved to Silicon Valley, led manufacturing at a major tech business before finding her way to Old Navy, which, by the way, got its name from a bar in Paris. Now her employees are 77% women. Here is Sonia Single. Sonia Single, welcome to No Limits. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm glad to be here at Old Navy headquarters in San Francisco. Isn't it fun? Did you feel the energy when I you walked in? I definitely felt the energy immediately, especially in the surroundings. Everything is beautiful here, including the clothing. Everybody's wearing great jeans. <laughs> Yeah, we take a lot of pride in our jeans. You know, this is this building is full of, I don't know, a thousand people. And you know, my main purpose in life is to really have them all embrace the brand, what we're, what we're about. And, you know, it starts with fun and fashion and value and family. And, you know, we're all one big family um, and we love our jeans. We really <laughs> do. We take our jeans very seriously. So this business is massive. Seven billion dollar business, 57,000 employees that you're helping to oversee. You just had a record quarter for Old Navy, which is not typical in retail right now. Retail mm-hmm. is a hard space to be in. But for you not so difficult. (laughs) Well, you know, it's been fun. It's been all encompassing. Um, It has been a phenomenal year for us. We just closed our 23 third year as a brand. And, you know, we're a pretty young brand, but 23 years, we're we're no longer a teenager. You know, we're we're in our 20s. And uh, it was the best year in our history. So that is something I am extremely proud of, uh, extremely proud of this team. Um, you know, we crossed the seven billion mark, as you said, in sales uh, closer to seven point two, which is you know every every dollar <laughs> but who's counts, counting. Yeah, exactly. Counting, I certainly am. That's Absolutely. For sure. And uh, you know, I think that uh, you know, how does that happen uh, in this retail environment? I think is first and foremost by uh, staying focused on the main thing. And for us, the main thing is uh, living up to the promise of this incredible brand. You know, when I first stepped into the CEO role. I really, um, I, I wasn't, I knew what Old Navy was about, uh, certainly, uh, but as I've really embraced what the brand stands for inside this uh, building in our, you know, 1100 stores globally, um, seeing the customer uh, engage with us, what she and he tell us every single day. You know, I start my morning by reading our customer comments every morning and, uh, you know, I get my cup of coffee, my 400 customer comments and, you know, 400. Uh, 
Every day, yes. So do you say, I want 400 or are there 400? Oh, no, 400? there are 400 every single day. <laughs> and, you know, they care. People care. People care deeply about the brand. They're connected. Uh, it's an important brand in their lives. And I think so with that, you know, uh, we deliver what we have delivered because we try to really amplify who we are and make sure that every decision, every product decision, every interaction with a customer in our stores, online, uh, every creative aspect of how we market to the customers is a reflection of, uh, you know, what this brand stands for. And it's all about, you know, inclusivity, democracy, uh, the democracy of style, really, that's our, you know, our mission. And we do that um, by, by being, I think, as welcoming as we can with respect with regard to our fashion, you, you were commenting about the jeans and seeing everyone wear jeans. Well, every body type is here, every height, every shape. And we want jeans, uh, we want people to feel great in their jeans, you know, every person. And so it starts with that and, um, you know, making it really easy to shop with us and, you know, having it be fun and, and satisfying for your family. So, you know, our manifesto, which has been the same since 1994, it's in our lobby as you walked in, you may have seen it. You know, it starts with, this phrase, uh, imagine that the world runs right. And, you know, if you start with that positive energy, and then read the rest of it, which is about family and product at an amazing jaw dropping price, and great quality clothing that fits amazing, um, you know, all of that, uh, you know, born in, in San Francisco, you know, I think that is what we're about. And it sounds simple. But uh, you you make, you know, I make a million decisions a day. Um, my team, 57,000 strong, makes a million decisions a day. And if every decision is against what we stand for and what we strive for, um, you know, I think that's how we're winning. You have an interesting background for a retail executive. You're, you started out by studying mechanical engineering. What path were you on? What did you want to be as a kid? Well, you know, for me, it starts way back when I was young. Um, you know, I... Uh, I've always been a bit of a rebel and a bit of an overachiever. I'm not going to lie. So it's for me, it's that combination that probably you know led me here. Um, you know, certainly you know the desire to to achieve great things and to really sort of be hands on uh, has always been uh, there for me from from day one. I've always been interested um, in business. I remember actually this funny moment when I was about. I don't know, 11, where uh, my dad, who also was in business, shared with me an article around, um, about Christy Hefner, who was the daughter of Hugh Hefner. And she had just taken over as head of Playboy at 35. And I remember thinking, that is so, it breaks every norm. You know, mm -hmm. she's young, she's a woman, she's heading Playboy <laughs> as CEO. I just love the sort of the, the unexpected um, and just the breaking of barriers aspect of that, plus obviously the the business appeal of running such an interesting business and not that particular business, but any business. And so that, <laughs> that wasn't that, why your dad that said wasn't it to why you. I'm like, it's not because I want to run I'm Playboy. Sorry, your dream job is that, no longer available. Kiddo. <laughs> no, no, exactly. No, but but it's just that <laughs> that opportunity to sort of break glass was always a, a piece of it. And and then you know I also um from a very early on uh, age learned how to sew and mm. uh for me I was a um obsessive designer in my youth and so that is really 
I think what grounds um, why I'm here, and it's very intentional. You know, I spent six years every day. Uh, you know, I remember again in a, in a moment of rebellion, uh, taking out the sewing machine that my mother said I wasn't supposed to touch because I was too young, and learning how to sew, uh, teaching myself, and making something out of, you know, the cheesecloth that happened to be in the closet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember my mom coming home and uh, you know having the exact right reaction, which is realizing that this was sort of a a, a defining moment for me. And then we just would spend all of our weekends, you know, buying fabrics and creating things. And, and so that was years upon years of, of creating clothing. And I think, uh, you know, it it was a great, I was a young, uh, uneducated designer that sort of self-taught and, um, and, you know, one path would, would have been certainly to run off to New York and, and go down that path. But I've always had this sort of yin and yang, this business creative, um, you know, balance for me. And, you know, couple that with the fact that I'm, I'm the product of an immigrant household. And so, you know, I think what is classic about that is there's a lot of encouragement um, in science and math and, and medicine. And so, you know, my sister became the doctor and I became the engineer and, and, you know, not, not sort of uh, under any sort of duress or anything, but it was sort of a, a great way to, to build a foundation for me for my, um, what, what became my business interest, my mm-hmm. analytical skills, but really my heart has always been very much back to those years when I was a, uh, you know, uh, a young designer and, and just that, that creative sort of, that, that creative process and valuing that, um, you know, was really, really important for me, informative for me. Also formative, very likely, were the Ford years. Yes. You spent many years yes. working, six years, I think, at Ford. I did. I did. So, you know, I think going from, what, a mechanical engineering undergrad, uh, six years in the auto industry. And, you know, for me, um, what was great about the auto industry is cars are complicated, interesting, well-designed uh, products. And I've always, you know, the red thread through my whole career is I've always been drawn to physical products, uh, beautiful physical products in this world. And it started with cars. And, uh, you know, uh, I was able to work across so many functions in my time there, um, moving around, I think, 10 or dif- 11 different different experiences. And there were some real doozies. I mean, there were some amazing ones. And Tell us about the doozies. Ones. Well, maybe my toughest assignment, and you know, this is a this is an assignment where every other job actually looks pretty easy, even the one I'm sitting in relative to this particular experience, which is, you know, I'm 21 years old, a young engineer, don't know a lot, um, and my first and that role was supervising a midnight shift um, manufacturing line. So probably and one of the youngest people in the room. I was by far the youngest, the uh, supervisor, the supervisor. You know, all the this is a union. A group of people, average age fifty to sixty. You're probably all men. one of the only, exactly one of the uh, only women. Yeah, all men, and and there I was with my clipboard and my pencil and my stopwatch, and my job was to um, assess how uh, productive they were. So could you imagine, right? And so you're it was the bad hard. guy. In the room. It, it was hard. It was. It was. I was the bad guy. It was hard. Did did and anything ever? Did you ever create any relationships that were positive, or was it more formative from an intellectual standpoint? Yeah, I think I. You know, I think there's a stick that you learn in that. You just yeah. don't give up. Thick you skin don't too. thick skin. Um, and you know, I've always found sort of creating the relationship, the humor. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all people, and so making that connection is sort of what got me through for sure. 
Um, but that was that was you know I think something I'll I'll always keep with me, and it just it goes to show you that you know hard work does pay off, and and um, the tough jobs, what I call sort of the boiler room jobs, are often the ones that really shape I think your character and your work ethic. What then is your turning point for making your way to Silicon Valley? When did you decide I need to go to business school? Yeah. I need to go to Stanford. <laughs> well, you know, I saw six years in the auto industry. I looked up, uh, you know, finally picked my head up and and looked at the leadership team. Uh, all white men looked at the board. Uh, I think all average age. 65, uh, 95% men. And I'm like, this doesn't look like me. And, you know, I'm a big believer, you, you have to, you know, you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was uh, a good turning point to say, it's time to head, head to California and go to grad school. And, and, you know, that was the frontier. I mean, in the mid 90s, uh, to be an engineer in Silicon Valley, then which was the dot, you know, the birth of the dot com and mm-hmm. age and the internet didn't exist, if you can believe it. I, I know you're, <laughs> you're, you can't even fathom that. I can but, fathom it. I remember right, the good old days. Right. They were very pleasant. <laughs> I know, I know. There was, some, there was, there was a nice pace to that, right? Um, but but being a part of that and, jo- and going to Stanford and really, you know, Stanford was all about uh, th- that experience was all about the best idea wins and it was all about the future and about breaking more of a meritocracy than yes, what you were accustomed to. Much more of a meritocracy. Um, and you know, it was a it was a turning point. I met my husband on the first day at the barbecue. It was all great. You met him on the first day. I did. I met him on the first day of grad school. And was he also a student? He was, uh, and he and I couldn't be more different. And, and you know, I'd shown up all organized with my you know thinking and my class <laughs> schedule and and this and that. And he sort of sauntered in with his goatee, having just arrived the night before from four months of travel backpacking uh you know were you jealous and, uh no you know i think he's a good he's a very good yang to my yang and and we uh we've been together ever since and um you know i think that that's been a huge part of my success as well having a partner who supports you yeah a partner who challenges me supports me uh, is uh creative as well you know his background's architecture and and um and building and so there's a lot of the, you know a lot of our personal time together is spent um in that process of um you know i think creating beautiful space together we've always we always have a a home project of some kind Mm. Uh, we're always in debate around uh, you know the aesthetic of things and who wins yeah who well he he often will win in i'll let him win maybe (laughs) he can take the low-hanging fruit exactly exactly so now you've been within gap inc yes for many years over, over a decade yeah almost 15 years almost 15 years and you've we talked to a number of different types of women mm-hmm. and a number of different types mm-hmm. of executives on No Limits. And a, a number of them go out and found a company. But it's it's almost... It's almost unlikely mm-hmm. these days that you would find an individual who's been within a company and been able to move up. And the person that comes to mind is Ursula Burns at Xerox, who who was on the show not that long ago. Talk about how you thought about making the moves inside of, of Gap and how you knew it was the right place for you to progress, especially given your experiences in the mm-hmm. auto industry, where it was kind of like, I can't see right. myself progressing here. Right. You know, and, and so, you know, after Stanford, I spent 10 years in high tech and was able to sort of be part of rapid growth. And then when I reached this point of what do I want to be when I grow up in my mid 30s, uh, it really was when I 
made the leap to Gap Inc. and decided I wanted to pursue my passion of apparel and fashion and, and couple that with all of the things I'd gained from the other indus- industry experience. And- Was that difficult, making that decision to go from tech into retail into something that, you know, some people might see your background and say, well, you're perfectly aligned with being in the tech world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very hard. Honestly, it's probably one of the hardest um, career transitions I've ever made. And because transitioning, you know, companies at a senior level is quite different uh, than at a junior level. And at a junior level, you you have more time to adjust, adapt. At a senior level, not only do you have um, huge expectations of yourself to sort of hit the ground running, um, but also there's expectations of uh, the environment you're going into. Mm -hmm. So coming in that first year, oh my God, I don't think I slept a wink that whole first year. I remember uh, it being extremely challenging because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was contributing at the rate that I'm used to. Um, I was, you know, learning a new industry, uh, learning uh, a new business, learning, um, you know, the retail side. I, I'd always been comfortable on the product side, but the retail side. And then uh, the culture, maybe the most dramatic shift is the culture, you know, going from uh, the culture in technology to the culture in a fashion apparel company couldn't be more different. What are Describe for me in a couple of words the differences and what the two cultures look like. Well, um, boy, uh, what can I say publicly that won't get me in trouble? <laughs> what I will say is, you know, uh, think about very male mm-hmm. um, in terms of tech, right? So 80% male. And so for and then in, in, in my environment now, 70 plus percent are women. And so uh, just that gender difference and what that implies in terms of um, norms and way people speak, the way ideas are brought to life, it is it, it's pretty it's pretty dramatic, you know and and I'd say that um, uh, in the tech environment, there was a lot of um, emphasis placed on the sort of the intellectual, idea. And in retail, a lot of it is what have you done? What have you delivered? Very practical, very tactical. Um, and then, you know, just learning, making the relationships really take that mm-hmm. just takes time uh, it, it changing. And and so, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd say alpha male to, you know, very female um, collaborative is really mm-hmm. the biggest way I describe the shift. You know, and my husband often laughs at me. He's like, you're, you've been trained as a male on the inside your whole career. So, you know, that's why you were fine in, in tech and auto and, and really the shift. Um, and really let me, it let me take my guard down. Mm-hmm. It let me sort of, I didn't realize how much I was putting on my armor every single day in, um, in those other industries. And there are so, certain behaviors that are just not okay. Exactly, exactly. And a certain sort of toughness that's required in those environments. You know, it's very sort of combative in style. It's very direct. And, and so I think now, um, it's, it, there's more emphasis on being nice and supportive. And, um, you know, I think I used to see those as soft. And now I see those as really enabling of great performance as well. So you're inside of the company, you're new to the industry, relatively new to the industry. How do you navigate your way to now being here at the top? 
Right. So, you know, my my first early years, I'd say, was around taking best practices from a different industry and doing my best to um, capitalize on them as a mark of success when I first joined. You know, A, I was learning, but B, I was also contributing in that regard. And so had some good successes there. And uh, really, my, my depth of background has been, has been in the making of goods, right? Whether it was the making of cars or the making of computers, the making of clothes is really was my core area where I I leaned into. Um, and then, but then I quickly realized I wanted to lead businesses and I wanted to lead a business. And, you know, it took, um, it took a leader taking a bet on me and giving me a PL, my first PL, uh, to really make that transition from being a functional leader to being um, a, a full business leader. How did you get to that point that a leader was betting on you like that? Were you knocking on doors, yeah. building relationships? How, how what yeah. did it take to get to that? Yes, I'm going to you know, sort of right. rabbi, be your rabbi in all of this? I think first is I I developed clarity uh, around what I wanted, right? So I think often um, it's easy to not to know and not to be clear. And mm-hmm. so I, at that point, I gained a lot of clarity saying, look, this was what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I wanted to really lead a brand, lead a business. And I knew I had huge gaps in development to get there. And so uh, A, having that clarity was, was a great start to take a leader, take my boss at the time, um, and partner with them to then say, okay, these are the gaps. How do we, how do we fill them? Right. Did you, I'm sorry to stop you there. Did you go in with, um, a plan in writing saying, this is the vision Uh and I want you to help me get there? No, I didn't do it in writing. Uh, I think I said, look, these are the experiences I need. These are the, you know, and how do we do it in a way that is good for the company and good for for me? And and the great news is, you know, the best way to do that is to actually, he was able to give me uh, a very tiny business that was no risk to the company to to really have me oversee it. Uh, In fact, it was money losing. So it's like, what's the downside? She can't really mess it up. (laughs) And, you know, and then it gave me a platform um, from which to build and, uh, and grow. And so I took a very tiny international business that had, I think, 11 stores and they were money losing and uh, took that from that to, you know, uh, I think 250 stores a few years later, a great uh, sales and profit contribution. So I was able to use that as my first vehicle to show that I could really, um, that I had the general management Mm -hmm. uh, capabilities. And and also I leaned into the international space quite a bit, which obviously might might not have been evident back then no. to everybody yeah. but now is clearly one of the most important segments in absolutely all of this. no it was a huge it was a huge um i think tr- uh, shift for me and that also led me to my next big um you know i think career transition which was after several years of of having um, this international experience, you know, they, I was approached to move to London and go run our European business as um, our European director overseeing Banana Republic and Gap. And, you know, this was this was a thing where you get called, I got, remember getting called by my boss saying, can you be in my office uh, Friday at four? And usually there's two things that happen when that happens, right? You're <laughs> I really you're either <laughs> yeah. like, you're, it's it's done, or there's something really cool. And so I'm like, huh, I wonder which it is. And I really had no clue. And so I, I, uh, I went to, you know, his office, he talked to me about this opportunity. 
Um, and it would be taking, you know, my, my family, my, my kids, who at the time were 10 and 12, and my husband, and, and essentially moving to London in like, I don't know, a couple of weeks for several years. And he, and he said, it's a great opportunity. It, le- you know, expands your, your purview. It would have been my first sort of billion dollar uh, size business uh, close to that. And so it was big. It was interesting. Um, and, uh, and it was a big shift for, for everybody. And, uh, and I remember going home and talking about it and literally within 15 minutes, you know, my husband and I were like, yeah, we got to go. It's just such a cool opportunity professionally, personally for the family. And so we did. And that was the other, you know, I'd say the next big leap and, you know, it was fantastic experience. So for anyone who looks at you Mm -hmm. and says, Sonia, how do I become the Mm -hmm. CEO of a public company? What are three really key building blocks? Because clearly there are plenty of different ways Mm -hmm. to get there. But uh, again, back to Ursula Burns, she and I talked about this idea that there are certain things that you really do have to have in place and certain experiences you really do have to have along the way if that's the job you want. Yeah, I know. I'd say, um, you know, the first and foremost is breadth of different experiences is really important. I mean, I've been able to move around industries, um, you know, types of roles within companies. Uh, but I will say all of my jobs have been core line jobs, meaning core to creating the value uh, that is essential to a company, mm-hmm. right? So core to designing, making, moving, selling what we do. And that is really, really important is um, if you want the top job, your experiences can't be peripheral. Uh, They've got to be at the heart of the business. So I'd say that is super important, both the moving around and the core of the work, you know. Um, And then the other thing is you got to be willing to take some risks and uh, put in put in what can be seen as personal sacrifice. You know, there's often, um, you know, a lot of these roles consume a lot. They, they consume a lot of you personally, of your family. Um, but also the flip side is the experiences that it, that it means for all of us is enormous as well. I mean, the things we get to do, we get to see, I get to do and see. You know, I've been, I think, in 60 countries um, through my work experience, a lot of them Gap, I think 45 or so through Gap, my time at Gap Inc. And uh, that's an amazing you know, it's an amazing experience that, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, I think pressure and responsibility comes with that. But boy, I remember, you know, walking down that road in Vietnam and being like amazed at something new I saw mm-hmm. or for the first time seeing Cambodia or what have you. And these are like, you know, really special, um, I think, advantages of uh, doing these big jobs. And then, the, as I said, the experience for my family um, and having that cultural experience and, and all of what that meant for us. It sounds like your family is really integrated they into are. the whole thing. Yes, yes. We are, uh, we're very opinionated. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, we all, um, you know, I think we all play a role in, in you know, where we're going. And, um, you know, I think that, it, it, what can I say? I'm very, very blessed. Very, very blessed. What's the toughest lesson you've had to learn along the way? You know, being present is something that's super important. I think for ambitious people, um, for driven people, it's something that I work on all the time. Is, when did it dawn on you uh-huh. the importance of that? Had you missed out on something or or things or life? Yeah, you know, I think that I'd always... Um, Luckily, I've kept my life outside of work pretty simple. You know, I, I, I'm a believer in what is that adage around, 
you know, big relationships, like the, the, the important relationships in your life, you can count them on two hands, right? Yes. So I, I prefer to have few deep relationships in my in my family and friends. And that's really been great for me. So I don't feel like I've missed out so much on on that. But I'd say, you know, health and, and well-being is something that's on my mind a lot. Um, and then there's always things that, you know, I miss uh, with the kids over the years that uh, with all of my international work and, and travel that uh, you wish you could do more of. But, you know, technology is amazing at bridging a lot of those gaps now. And, you know, I feel so much more connected than probably 15 years ago when mm-hmm. I was globetrotting and wasn't as connected. So, um, yeah, it's gotten it's gotten easier. And I think it's given the kids also a feeling of you can do anything, you can be anywhere, you can live anywhere. Um, it's really up to you. This is something I often think about. I'm, I sort of have had like that turning point of being more present and enjoying the moment because yeah. I think early on in my career, and, and I still am a very ambitious person, mm-hmm. but early on, it was kind of like, what's next? What's next? And if there was that moment, if you had that opportunity, it wasn't about living in the moment and enjoying it. It was, okay, what do I need to do to bridge this into the next opportunity? Right. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's about creating the energy and the sustainability and um, the capacity to, you know, I think be uh, be really effective now and also create the capacity for the future. You know, I think that's it's, it's been a real focus of mine. What is the worst advice you've received along the way? Oh, my goodness. Gosh, there's such a long list. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Um, I would uh, you yeah, gosh. Uh, be a, be uh, become a school teacher. Who told you to become a school teacher? <laughs> I think I was told to become a school teacher by a college professor, actually. Um, because, In mechanical engineering? Yeah, yeah. I just think there was, you know, there's just bias and there's norms and there's what people see that you can be based on nothing really well understood about who you are. So how did that uh, hit you at the time? Did you think, hmm? this person might be an expert and they know I should be a school teacher. Oh, or were you like, no, no this person oh, is no. an idiot. And I, pretty they, much this person's an idiot. Did you say and, that or did um, you just keep your mouth shut and you know, I, go at, on? At that time, I wasn't as confident as sort of uh, speaking up or around where I saw um, either, you know, I think weirdness or <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the right words are. I, I'm getting better. I'm better mm-hmm. at that now because I think we all have to lean into creating the... Uh, you know, the environment that, that's fair and equitable. And again, back to Old Navy and what this brand's about. Gosh, if there's anything that this we're about, it is about, um, you know, equality and everyone's this, everyone's equal. And to me that, and everyone has every opportunity, you know. So those are tenants that I try to live by and try to, um, you know, think create awareness uh, around both in my leadership style as well as how I try to affect, you know, the small moments as well. Is it true Old Navy has sold more t-shirts with messages on them than any other company? Yes, we are the number one um, seller of, you know, graphic tees. And it's amazing because we get to, you know, I think we get to decide what do we want to say. And, um, you know, it's actually... Who decides that? Well, you know, a lot of it comes from who we are as a brand. And then our head of design has the ultimate, uh, has has the ultimate say, if you will. Uh, And we all feed into that. Do you ever send ideas? Oh, all the time. Are you kidding? What's The The team is so sick of my photos from this, that, and the other. Can you tell me (laughs) one of your, like, one of your recent wacky ideas? I think the recent one where where, I, I, you know, we're, we're having this debate on is, well, obviously, all of this, um, 
awfulness around the school shootings. Mm-hmm. And it's hit us really close to home because, you know, we're all about kids and family. And um, and so we were in the context of graphic tees, we were we were saying, you know, is there anything we can do, you know, and uh, we I'd sent her a photo that said uh, that showed um, a graphic that said arms are for hugging. And that just felt really like Old Navy. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think that we started a dialogue about that. But, you know, linking to social cause and li- linking to the current social conversation is a big piece of what we do. I mean, all of this movement around, I think, this resurgence of feminism, we've seen amazing pickup of all of our um, girl proud and girl power fashion tees that have those kinds of empowerment messages. And that's been very intentional, very deliberate. So yeah, it gives me a lot of pride to know that we can, um, I think, empower people with our messages and help them say what what they want to say. Does it ever scare you at all in this world of social media instantaneous reaction? We've seen a number of retailers face backlash. And, you know, as a consumer, you look at it and you think, oh, it's so obvious. But I'm sure in your world, you can understand Mm -hmm. sometimes how the message moves its way up the, the food chain and somehow some way isn't exactly captured like that, that like where somewhere didn't realize it was going to hit that note. Yeah, you know, I think that's why uh, the, the most important thing I can do in my role is to make sure that uh, we completely amplify what we're about, who we are as a brand, that our new employees, that all of our employees really understand that because it's a million decisions that they're making, right? I can't oversee all of it. Um, our head of design can't oversee everything. Our head of marketing can't oversee every every message. So it really is incumbent to us um, to make sure that we um, arm our teams with, you know, with that. Um, ultimately, there's going to be stuff, you know, uh, there's going to be stuff that we have to deal with that we get wrong. Um, and, you know, it's back to that resiliency that I probably learned at, on the midnight shift is you just get through it and you uh, live to fight another day and you learn and you, you move on and you get better. Sonia Single, thank you so much for joining us on No Limits. Thank you. That was a great trip out to San Francisco. Thanks so much to everyone at Old Navy for letting us see their headquarters. And we also, by the way, toured the company store on site. Really cool. Uh, The only downside of that trip was when we lost a laptop and an Uber. We eventually did get it back, though, thanks to our wonderful driver and some help from some really nice friends. Uh, I want to mention this really cool thing because you might remember Celine from our very first RJ Answers segment. That was back in November. If you haven't heard it yet, take a listen. So she recently had graduated from Cal State Northridge. I basically had throughout my whole entire college career like five internships and then I recently just got a job. But um, I guess my questions basically have to do with... um, getting into the work field just because it's not exactly where I want to be. Well, I received one of the best emails ever when she wrote us back with a major update. She tells us that she made her career pivot and recently started a new job at a technology company. And she's working in this hybrid role. It's giving her the freedom to work on the content and journalism side, but she's also working with digital partners. And she sounds really happy. She told me she was in the email. That makes me so happy to know that people are listening to what we're doing here at No Limits. 
and they're finding their way. That's so important to me. So, Celine, I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad that you're keeping us updated. Anyone out there with questions, feel free to send them my way. I love reading your emails. And genuinely, nothing makes me happier than to know what we're doing here is helping you be happier and feel more successful and more complete in your lives out there. So now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur is Hypatia Lopez. She's the CEO of HL Unico LLC and the inventor of Empanada Fork. Hypatia was a finalist in HSN's Project American Dream, and her Empanada Fork won the social media fan favorite product. Here she is to tell you about it. Hello, everybody. My name is Hypatia Lopez. I'm the inventor of Empanada Fork. Empanada Fork is a pastry press used to make fork-like impressions on dough to seal it closed. My company is HL Unico LLC. I invented this kitchen utensil and became an entrepreneur pretty much overnight. I'm hoping to inspire other Latina women to invent, to get our percentages up, and also to leave our name down in history. Please follow www.empanadafork.com for more information, and I'm coming out with a larger size to hit other markets like the calzones. Thank you. Hypatia, this is so cool. Your your product is on sale. The empanada fork is on sale at Walmart and all over the place. I love it. I love that kind of innovation and invention. So cool. Congratulations, Hypatia Lopez, for being our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week. I wish you continued success, and I look forward to buying one of your empanada forks very soon. You can find out more about Hypatia and her story, by the way, on my Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis. And remember, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as an Entrepreneur of the Week, or maybe you have a career question of your own, shoot me an email at no limits with RJ podcast at gmail.com. I am reading all of those emails. I'm reading emails from people like Hapatia, from people like Celine, and hopefully soon I'll be reading yours. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Rebecca Jarvis. By the way, little change here. Let's start using the hashtag no limits podcast. That's hashtag no limits podcast. So feel free to use that wherever you're talking about us. And I want to give a shout out to our whole team here who helps make this happen week after week. My producer, Taylor Dunn, our editor, Michelle Bancardo, our research assistant, Annie Osakwe, and the team here at ABC Radio, Elizabeth Russo, David Ryan, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, and Steve Jones. Thank you. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. 